Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new monthly edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes today. American Funds Distributors, Inc. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor Q&B. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Let's get to our guest. Ashish Chanda is with us, uh, founder and CEO of Crystal on the line from Singapore. Ashish, uh, thanks for being with us. A lot of the focus here away from what we're going to get in uh, less than an hour now when it comes to uh, the Chinese data is what the Fed may do next week. We've seen a spike in uh, U.S. Treasury yields across the curve, particularly at the short end. I think it's a fair statement that the uh, the move next week is going to be somewhat aggressive. 75 basis points seems to be the consensus. Do you think we are kind of at risk right now of seeing a lot more dollar strength? Or in terms of the dollar story, have we kind of uh, reached a peak? So yeah, you're right. Uh, the 75 basis points is pretty much baked in. It remains to be seen what uh, happens in the other two meetings uh, because now most of the street is expecting uh, 4% to possibly happen by end of this year. So dollar strength is uh, definitely stretched, but there could be more legs to it. In fact, we were thinking that uh, it could be in its uh, last leg and there could be a correction if Fed does take a reversal. But the latest data that's coming out shows that dollar strength is likely to continue at least for a couple of months. Can the Fed actually achieve that soft landing? Will we avoid a recession? Well, that's a million dollar question. So what's happening is that uh, anything above 4%, we believe, uh, could cause a hard landing. Uh, so it's a touch and go situation. I think some sectors in the U.S. are probably already in a recession, uh, but uh, soft landing is still uh, the likely case if Fed puts the brakes on hikes towards the end of this year. So let's say if you have a 75, 15, 25, that's a positive signal to the market that the Fed is not likely to be so aggressive next year, but remains on the data to come out. So one of the things that we've also been looking at is uh, what's been happening with the Japanese yen as it relates to the dollar. The yen stronger today by uh, quite a bit. We're at 142.90, so on the strong side of 143. Earlier in the week, the concern was the, the possibility of intervention from the Bank of Japan. Give me your sense now of what you're, you're looking at in terms of uh, yen vis-a-vis -vis the greenback. So dollar-yen uh, definitely is uh, one of the, the pairs which is used for uh, funding or borrowing. Now, the positioning over there is pretty uh, pretty strong. So there is a, a risk that if the dollar long-dollar trade reverses, then you could have a sharp pullback in that. So so we've got to be a bit more cautious uh, on, on yen versus, let's say, the other uh, EM currencies, uh, just because of the positioning that's there. So what about uh, in terms of what we're seeing with the yuan and the PBOC's efforts there to really try and defend that and I guess the the importance here of that seven to the dollar level? So I think the speed of depreciation matters, uh, but the psychological seven level, it has been reached a couple of years back, 2019, I think. And uh, that's not going to be a very big event anymore. Uh, but the speed of depreciation is definitely something that uh, the central banks would like to keep an eye on. Uh, so we think that, yes, there will be more weakness of uh, the yuan, and let's see how the data comes out. 
um, but it's also linked to the domestic demand in China being disrupted with the with the COVID lockdowns. So definitely, there is more uh, yuan depreciation on the cards, but we don't think it's going to be a very sharp move uh, beyond seven because the the PBOC is likely to control. One of the stronger uh, elements in the Chinese economy has been the export sector, as you well know, and I'm wondering whether or not this weakness will will fortify that that part of the Chinese economy. So you've got to see it in the light of an international demand versus domestic demand. So today the domestic demand signals are quite weak. Uh, international demand is coming from the weakness uh, or the weakness over there is coming from the uh, uh, weakness and growth in uh, Europe as well as the U.S., uh, so yes, exports have been uh, a, a pretty uh, decent, but we have to see what the trend is going forward and how a potential recession in US or Europe uh, pans out demand for international uh, exports. Uh, we were talking about South Korea's record low unemployment. This does give latitude for the Bank of Korea to raise rates again, similar to what we saw with Australia's jobs numbers yesterday. Uh, how are you kind of viewing the complications of central banks in uh, Asia and I guess the opportunities in some of these economies? I think the Asian central banks uh, clearly have to fight inflation as well as uh, uh, look at you know how the currencies are, are hit with the long dollar. Uh, but uh, having um, said that, with the employment data coming in pretty strong uh, across a couple of countries, it shows that they do have the leeway to hike the rates by another few basis points. Uh, so let's say Korea going from two half to let's say uh, three over the next few months. But that's the that's the balance that they, they have to strike in terms of uh, the global demand reduction that's likely to come from Europe and US. And how do they make sure that uh, their economies are well insulated from that? But having said that, so some leeway in having rate hikes is always good news for them, but they have to be done, they have to be doing it very cautiously. You know, the energy story has been such a major thread when we talk about uh, higher inflation and building pressures, whether it's in the U.S., Europe, or in uh, the APAC region where you are. When you look at the crude oil market right now, and we see crude just kind of trading around 85 the barrel, that's WTI. I'm curious to get your take. Do you have a forecast right now? Are we maybe close to a, a top, at least in near-term uh, oil, because of some of the risk to economic growth globally? So we don't forecast a particular price, but we do uh, mention overweight versus underweight. So we have been overweight commodities for quite some time early this year. But now as the fears of recession or the talk of recession is coming more than the inflation, you may see that the recession rhetoric takes over inflation rhetoric in the next quarter. And hence, uh, oil, we are likely to be more uh, underweight or uh, neutral than overweight. What uh, sectors are you kind of seeing as, as attractive when we look at all the headwinds that we've been facing with the inflationary pressures and I guess also the regulatory concerns too? I mean, is it time to, to look at the likes of tech or property in China? So we're still, um, I would say, more value focused. Yes, China is a value market and we see what happens in second half of October if there is any stimulus coming from there. Uh, it has been beaten down uh, a lot in terms of the pricing. Um, but clearly on the tech, we in the US, let's say we are uh, underweight. Short-term bonds, we think, is the right place to park your money. And uh, looking at you know more long-short plays, market-neutral strategies, uh, at least for the next three to four months. Uh, not yet bullish on any property sector in uh, in China yet, uh, but overall uh, looking to have more overweight on China. Uh, looking uh, by by uh, by hoping that there is some stimulus coming after uh, the October meetings. 
Ashish, is there a trade right now that you would avoid at all costs? Let's say something of a kind of a herd mentality position that you think is is just wrong-headed right now? I wouldn't say it's wrong, but uh, the long dollar trade could get into a territory which is uh, ready for a sharp pullback. So while I'm still saying that, yes, that has more legs to go, but we now need to be very, very cautious on how far it can go, especially versus the yen and some other currencies. Let's talk about India. I mean, this is something that you've mentioned for some time in terms of attractiveness, and it's something that we hear a lot on the program. But is it too late for people to be to be looking at India, or are there still some good upside here? So within the growth segment, we are quite bullish on India. We think that that's an economy that's likely to grow a lot uh, next year. Yes, there is a, a headwind from the oil prices and the currency weakness, but the, the cost of hedging the currency is pretty low now given the rate differentials. Uh, so we're quite optimistic within the growth segment that despite the valuations over there, uh, it's, it's a market that's likely to grow and deliver a very high growth. So quite uh, optimistic on countries like India and maybe even a few places like Thailand and Vietnam. All right, Ashish, thank you. Ashish Chanda, founder and CEO at Crystal, joining us from Singapore here. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF.